It's great to be with you guys tonight. I want to bring an observation to your mind that probably every single one of you here tonight has formulated your relationship with God based on what somebody else has told you he's like. The chances are every single person in this room tonight has created their relationship based upon what they've heard from someone else or what they read in a book or maybe what they were taught in school. And that can be fine as a starting place unless what they are teaching you is actually the wrong idea of who God is. And these come from well-intended people that try to do their best to show people who God is, but we have to acknowledge that sometimes even we get the wrong information every once in a while. And in the process of someone saying, I point you this direction to go find God, instead of us learning about God through a go that way and find out who he is, we get placed into this box that says, hear who God already is. And I challenge you to be courageous enough to discover what God's relationship with is you on its own. Forget what you heard in Bible college or forget what you heard in another church service or anywhere other place. Like, would you have the audacious courage to actually go and find out for yourself what God is really like to you? Because as I look at the God that I have now encountered on this side of fatherhood, it's a vastly different God than who I was taught to believe in. And so when I became a father myself, I had a theology crisis. And here it was, is that I actually am a better father than my God. That was disturbing. Because all of a sudden, the things that I believe what God did to me, I would never do to my kids. That was troubling for me. Until I realized that all the things I thought were truth, all the things I thought were real, all the things that I was told to believe, when I look in the scriptures, I find this entire different identity of God in the scriptures. And it's revealed when Jesus cries out to the Father and says, Abba, which means Daddy. Not Lord, not King, not Majesty. We realize that's the most intimate word that you can use for God. And that same exact spirit dwells inside of you. It doesn't cry king, it doesn't cry master, it doesn't cry lord, it doesn't cry almighty creator of the world who smiteth the, you know, bad doers. It's like, it cries out, Abba, the spirit in you has a language that says daddy above all else. And when we start there, and we don't try to define God, we don't first try to understand God through things like sovereignty and through presence of evil and Genesis, and we don't try to like have this Wikipedia top-down approach where we're supposed to have this bottom-up relationship. God, like, would you reveal to me who you are as I go? And it's okay to say, I actually don't know who God is. It's a perfectly fine and authentic position to say, like, I'm still learning the guy. I'm still getting to know him. That is a far better place than to defend everything you were taught because everything I was taught wasn't true. And so, so much of my walk and my faith, which I hope to impart to you, is to try and let you not have to have children to have the theology lesson I have. I want to avoid, you know, that lesson for you all if it's not your time yet. (laughs) Because becoming a father has been the greatest transformation for me. So I'm going to share with you tonight are some revelations. I got a lot of these. I'm only going to limit myself to a few tonight. 
It's just understanding God from that identity of daddy, of Abba. That's who we know God is. That's the name that he's given that Jesus cries out to him in his personal language. It's the spirit in you that cries out and you're like, I've never heard that term. But that is the spirit that's in you. It's interfacing with the father in terms of daddy. And you're saying, king. And we understand how that difference there will transform our relationship with God, will unlock everything for us. But I want to challenge you to be courageous enough to develop your own relationship that doesn't have to fit into what you were taught, doesn't have to fit into what you were reading one time. Are you guys ready? The first revelation I have for you about Daddy God tonight is that Daddy God is in a good mood. That might not sound that revelatory, but it is. How you perceive God's demeanor is going to shape everything about your relationship with him. If you were to close your eyes right now, just close your eyes right now, and if you were to picture what God's face looks like, if you were to describe the expression on his face right now, would it be, for me, it's like blank, is like I just see like an orb of light. <laughs> or, <laughs> I just read this mail. <laughs> or is there a person? Is there an expression? Is there emotion? Is there an attitude? Is there a posture? Is there a disposition to the presence of God that you feel? I'm going to go on a limb and say that a lot of you guys don't see anything. Do you know how devastating it would be for me? You can all open your eyes if you want now. How devastating to me it would be if, if my kids weren't sure about what I thought about them, how my disposition was to them, what my attitude, what my posture towards them was. I'd be devastated. But we all have all these different ideas, like God is neutral, or maybe he's occupied, angry, disengaged. And sometimes the face that we get in thinking about God sometimes resembles somebody else. We talked two weeks ago about how a lot of us have to live down this bad father, earthly father that we have because it's interfering with our theology of a good heavenly father. How important that is. But let me tell you a story. Every single day I come home, I all of a sudden get like sweaty palms as I turn onto the street. Because my kids, they're somewhere in the living room and they know that when mom says daddy's on his way home, they're going to be like looking through the windows. And we have this thing when I drive up to the, to the side of the street, and I live like on the busy side of the street, is they come racing out, saying, daddy! And I have to like get out of my car fast enough to save them from coming into the streets. And they do this one thing, like they... They come, and as soon as they see me and they're within line sight, they are sprinting as fast as they can. They're just going really hard, and just like, boom. And it, like, literally knocks me over. Every day, I park, rip out of my truck, Scarlet, Maverick, we just run, and we get bloody noses from hitting each other, and we're, like, throwing them in the air. And all of a sudden, they are just on cloud night, because now it's time to play. 
I'm in the middle of taxes right now. You don't want to know about my taxes. My taxes are like a phone book. I pay thousands of dollars to have them done for me. I'm in the middle of them because I have them filed next week. All day yesterday, I am weeding through transactions. I have like, for whatever reason, every state agency and every federal agency complaining about something I've done the past five years, apparently. I'm in the middle of like this like thorny fines, fees, what is this? I have the worst day. And as soon as I pull up to the side of my house, all of it's gone. It would never even occur to my children I've actually had a bad day. It would never occur to them that I'm like maybe just a little bit feisty with what I just went through. And no matter what I was doing, I'm in the best mood ever to see them because they expect the best from me. And whenever my kids approach me, they are always coming to me with the expectation that I'm in a good mood because I am in a good mood. And that's how God is with you. Sometimes we're afraid of God because we're not really quite sure how he thinks of us. Not quite sure what his demeanor towards us is. And, and when he sees you, it's the same thing. He's like, son, daughter. He's like all about it. And Zephaniah 3.17 says this, The Lord your God is in your midst. He will exult over you with joy. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. That's how God looks at you. Now, what's interesting is this is where our Hebrew translation fails us because that word rejoice there is kind of a weird word. It actually means jumping through the air with the twisting and yelling. Jumping, twisting, violently, contorting in the air, dancing, leaping. That's how God thinks of you. Caleb's going to demonstrate what that looks like practically. Come on here. I'm just teasing, but... But that's how you know God is a daddy God, is that when he has that reaction over you, that when he thinks of you, he's leaping, twisting through the air and screaming with joy over you. We know that he is an intimate father, not an overlording king, not an overlording master. Is he king? Amen, for sure. Is he creator? Absolutely. But above all that, he is daddy. And I don't know why we sometimes think that maybe God's in a bad mood. Have you ever thought, like, consider that God doesn't have bad days in heaven? God's never like, the gardener didn't show up, you know? He's not, like, ever, like, you know, angry about something that didn't go his way in heaven. Like, but somehow, I don't know about you, but for me, I, I presume that God would have some good days and some bad days. And it's like, it makes no sense to think about it. And so we can always come to God knowing that he has his best mood present. Always. And so why is this perception, why is it important that you believe that daddy God is in a good mood? Because your perception of God's mood determines if you approach him. What you believe about God's demeanor, about his thoughts towards you, what you believe about how his day went and how he's doing, it is going to determine if you approach him or not. This is present in all of our lives. How someone's demeanor, how someone's mood is completely alters what you're going to do. Let's say you want to ask your boss for a raise. And you like develop all the courage and he comes out slamming a door and he's like, oh, I'm so angry and what do you want? Uh, nothing. I'm nothing at all. 
you're not going to ask for that raise, are you? Why? It's because you are adjusting based on what your perception of someone's mood is. I learned at a young age that to always ask mom for presents when she's the most proud of me. When she's the happiest. I'm like, mom, maybe we could get this for Christmas a little bit, you know? What do you think? Not when she's like angry and, or she never was angry, sorry. Not when she's like flustered or had a lot of things going on. Like we time our interactions based on how we perceive the person's mood. And so if you have a hard time coming into interaction with God, maybe you actually don't have an interaction problem with God. Maybe you have a perception problem of who God is thinking about you and his demeanor towards you. And so this is key to the identity we believe God because a king and a master, they have their own demeanors and dispositions when we think about it. A king has got very important things to do. Very stoic, very righteous. My kingdom shall reign, right? I mean, that's the demeanor of a king. That demeanor completely alters how we would approach him. Isn't it interesting? I don't know if you knew this, but every single time someone bows to Jesus in the New Testament, you know what he says? He doesn't say, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, a little bit more, yeah. He's like, you guys over here too, join him. He's like, get up. He doesn't say, how dare you, you're wrong. He just is like, I actually prefer to relate to you face to face. John 15, 15, I no longer call you slaves, for a slave does not know his master's business, but instead I've called you friends. You don't realize it, but Jesus gave you a DTR in your relationship. Those of you who have never had a DTR, God bless you. It stands for defining the relationship. I had a lot of those. They never worked out to my favor. <clears throat> but Jesus changed his relationship with you. He says, you're still relating to me as this almighty, you know, lightning-throwing, smiting God. And it's like, I've called you friend. I've pulled you up to my level. And so the demeanor we believe God to have, whether it is master, Lord, boss, these different things, they come with a default disposition. And when we realize that God is daddy, it should change how we perceive how to approach God. Again, if you have a problem accessing God, I believe that you don't have an access problem, you don't have a communication problem, you probably have a perception problem. And so I challenge you to examine what you believe in your heart about God's mood. Because a daddy is in a good mood all the time. God doesn't have bad days in heaven. We have no reason to believe that God would have any other mood towards us than delight. And why would that be, is number two. Is that you are in right standing with God. See, when I say God is in a good mood to you, you probably say, well, he doesn't know what I did last summer. You know, he, or he doesn't know what I did last week. I don't know what I just did five seconds ago. Yeah, he does. Totally. You think there's anything you can do and Jesus is like, I had no idea this was coming. This is so embarrassing. How did I miss this? Don't tell them. Don't tell the angels. Come on. Take the contingency plan. Go, hurry, 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 hurry. Our natural inclination, inclination, there it is, inclination, 
is to determine God's mood based on what we did. We'll project upon God the mood that we think we deserve. The truth is that you are in right standing with God. Period. End of story. The end. Mic drop. You are in good standing with Daddy God. But when we sin, we allow our sin to lie to us to say that we have fallen outside of our standing with God. And we beat ourselves up when it comes to sin. But don't let the regret of your past supersede the reality of who you are. What do you mean who you are? Well, the Bible says you're the righteousness of God. That you are clothed with Christ. Like when when God looks at you, he's got like Jesus goggles on looking through at you. Kind of like beer goggles, but Jesus goggles, you know, kind of, does that make sense? When God is looking at you, this is key. When God looks at you, he sees righteousness. He sees your son. If this doesn't turn you on, then you don't have a switch. Because when we understand that we are in right standing with God, no matter what, we can abandon all the fear that we have in coming to him. Because there's nothing that God forgot on the cross. Do you know that Jesus didn't forget anything when he went to the cross to die for your sins? I used to think, well, the cross paid for my sins up until salvation, and then after that, I'm in deep trouble if I screw up. But everything you've ever done, past, present, future, was nailed on the cross. When Jesus stepped off the cross, he handed you a receipt, not an invoice. It says paid in full. It doesn't say, oh man, you better get on the payment plan. But some of you here tonight, you're on the payment plan trying to pay back the cross. And the only way that, because salvation's a gift, right? A gift. Everyone say gift. There's only one way to insult the gift giver. Do you know what it is? To pay it back. If you're trying tonight to try and earn your way back, trying to pay back off the cross, it's not only A, not going to work, but it's kind of insulting to the gift giver. He doesn't want you to try and earn it off and work it off. And it's impossible for you to lose your good standing with God. That's the thing that you need to know is that even if you fall, even if you fail, it is impossible for you to lose your good standing with Jesus because he's not going to have another cross. The first one wasn't deficient. Just your thinking is. And so you can rest in security like, yes, did I totally mess up? Absolutely. And I'm not trying to minimize and try and say that that our, our decisions don't matter. They certainly do. I'm just trying to say like when the devil wants to keep you down for years over shame, God is like, I had this covered 2,000 years ago. Why are you stressing out about it? Because I'm not. Do you have a distant relationship with God? Maybe it's because you actually fear his punishment. You fear what he's going to do. First John 4.18 says this, there's no fear in love. And just prior to this verse, it says that God is love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. If you still have fear present in your relationship with God, you are not perfected in his relationship with you. Hello. Good word, Eric. Now, I wasn't asking for you to clap. I just. <laughs> if you still have fear for God, like, there's a difference between reverence of God. Like, I want my, my children to know that, like, I have the solutions. Like, 
They revere me. Fear of the Lord is more reverence, not fear of punishment. We see it right here because fear involves punishment. Now, don't confuse godly punishment with earthly consequence. Now, you might make a mistake, and God is like, I took care of that 2,000 years ago, but the state's coming for you. (laughs) Your decisions might have earthly consequences that you don't like, and God is like, this is your own mess to clean up. Anybody ever been pulled over? Humiliating, right? Two weeks ago, I got pulled over in my truck by a man on a bike. It had this little blue light. It was like trickling. Like it was almost like a, this is your night light. He might as well like had a flashlight. He's like blinking on and off at me. I was like, this, this could happen? Like I'm in the middle of downtown. All these cars are like, that dude got pulled over by a bike. <laughs> Taking forever. Then he calls back up. Not another bike, fortunately. That would have been humiliating. Couldn't believe it. It was like there, the whole bike helmet. I'm like, this is so weird. What's happening? And I thought I had, you know, paid my registration. I was gone two months of the summer. It came during then. And lo and behold, it's my registration. And again, like I said earlier, I've had like apparently every agency on my tail about something I messed up. Now, my prior theology would be like, God, what are you saying to me? You know, I'm getting these fines, these late fees. And also the late fee in the state, thank you, California, 141% late fee because I missed the first one. Appreciate that. Try not to rant. But my theology would say, God, what gives? What are you trying to teach me? And he's like, how about you just pay the bills on time? He's like, there's no theology lesson here. So you have complete right standing with God. God's in a good mood because you have right standing with God. Are you with me? Now you might think, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. God doesn't punish us, but he's at least disappointed in me when I sin. Wrong. You have daddy God's approval. Remember, God the Father sees you through the lens of his son. He's never like, I see behind that and I think I'm disappointed in it. He's not ever looking at you without the lens of Jesus on you. It says you are clothed with Christ. You're the righteousness of God. I've written 25 things that should just blow your mind about who you are. I'm going to make them available on our site, and you can get one a day, a little essay, about 25 truths that should just radically transform your life. And this is one of them, is that we are approved by God because the Father sees Jesus around us, top to bottom, head to toe, that you are approved but some people want to carve out like a little, you know, clause, the fine print that says God forgave you, but he's disappointed in you. No. God is never disappointed in you because disappointment is actually another form of punishment. Let this one sink in. Don't ever partner with a lie that God has disappointed in you. That's punishment. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. Either God paid for your sins or he didn't, amen? Amen. Either God paid for your sins or he didn't, amen? Amen. 
And so God is not making you pay for your sins in the form of his disappointment. He's unsurprised. He paid for it all 2,000 years ago. This is not news to him. He's having a great day. He's in a good mood. You're in perfect standing with him. So why would God be disappointed in you? It's because that's what we manufacture upon ourselves. Here's a comparison. You guys know one of the scariest stories in all the Bible? Ananias and Sapphira? Early church, everyone's like freaking out, like trying to sell all their stuff to bring to the church. The husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, they sell their property for a big profit and they come to the disciples and said, we're giving you all the profit, all the money that we got for it. This is amazing. But yet they had conspired with each other to lie and to hold back some. Now it has nothing to do with the amount that they gave. Let's be honest. Had nothing to do with what they didn't give it. It had everything to do with that they lied and happened to fall over dead. Now, people want to say, well, God struck them out. The scriptures don't tell us God had any involvement. Sin is like, like death, right? Sin kills. I'm perfectly comfortable that their sin, when they lied to the, the apostles of the early church, that their own sin killed them on the spot. I'm totally fine with that. Totally makes sense to me. But Ananias and Sapphira, when they say, I've brought it all, but they lied and they held some back, that is not that different than God saying, I paid for all of your sins, but then makes you pay for it in his disappointment. That'd be a double standard, wouldn't it? For God to generally say, I remember your sins no more, Isaiah 43, 25. For my own sake, I remember them no more. So how can God be disappointed in you? Wouldn't that be holding back some punishment reserved for you? I think it would. There's one thing I'll never say to my children, ever. I may slip, I may get frustrated, I may do something that I regret. I totally acknowledge that possibility. There's one thing I'll never say, and it's I'm disappointed in you, ever. You know why? That's worse than any punishment that I could give. Because what a child wants the most is it wants the approval of, its, of their dad. And so when you say, I'm disappointed in you, it contaminates the thing that your children want the most from you, which is your heart. It's one thing to say, go to your room. It's one thing to say, I'm disappointed in you. It's like, I'd rather be in my room for 100 years now to have you not say those words. There's probably a lot of you here in this room that you probably grew up with those words. It's probably very familiar to have an earthly father or some other fatherly figure say, I'm disappointed in you. And so it's easy for us to think of God the Father saying, I'm disappointed in you when you falter. But on this side of my crazy theology lesson in being a father, I realize that there is no more damaging words that I can inflict upon my children than to tell them that my heart is disappointed in them. I can discipline my kids in all sorts of ways, but when I discipline them with my disappointment, I am showing them that my unconditional love is not that unconditional. 
Let me say that again. I can discipline my kids in all sorts of ways, but when I discipline them with my disappointment, I'm showing them that my unconditional love is not unconditional. It can't be unconditional if you're going to pay the price of disappointment. And this happened to me just this week. It's innate in us. Our little bedtime routine is the kids get a tubby, and so we have this little like big bathtub, and Scarlett like hops on there, and she always wants to like jump off of it. And she's like wet feet, wet floor, wet everything, no towel, like tile everywhere, like don't jump, you know? And so I always like grab her hands, but she still wants to leap off the edge and hold her and whatnot. So I like run over her, grab her, and she like crouches down and she leaps all as fast as she can and like straight into my nose. You ever had those times where like instantly like fluid starts like running from every place up here? I had like tears running down. I had like clear stuff. Fortunately, it wasn't blood. She would have been traumatized. And I'm like trying to pull it here. Like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And she is like bawling. She like loses it instantly and she cries out, you don't love me anymore. I've never ever questioned my love for her. But she connected two dots is that she made a mistake and it hurt daddy or appeared to hurt daddy. And that I won't love her anymore. At four years old, she draws a connection that what she does can lose my love. And I try my best to be silly. Then I'm like tears coming out of my eyes. I'm like making toot sounds. I'm like trying to do anything I can to redeem the situation. But innate, innate in her and innate in us is this tendency to light ourselves on fire when we make a mistake because we think that is how God sees us. See, kids, I'm going to talk about this next time. Kids have just enough information to draw the wrong conclusion. She's smart enough to know that she made a mistake. She's smart enough to know that that probably hurt daddy. She's smart enough to know that I love her, but she drew the wrong conclusion saying that if I make a mistake, I no longer get loved. And daddy got us saying here, how dare you connect those thoughts? Those thoughts don't come from me. See, shame always creates lies. Always. In a four-year-old, jumping off the edge, making a mistake, it created a lie in her. Now, if you're not careful, when shame creates a lie, your theology might defend that lie based on what you believe about God. When you falter, when you fail, when you experience guilt, the enemy's going to try and come and inspire all sorts of lies into your belief system. But if your theology is not right, your theology will not only give them safe harbor, it will defend their existence. It'll defend it as truth. But what she doesn't know, what I had to try and reason with a four-year-old, is that I can process with you with your mistake without ever feeling disappointed in you. I can process with your behavior without feeling disappointed in you. It's this like radical departure of what she thinks is even possible. And it's just simply not the truth. How are you guys doing? Do you want one more? One more? 
gosh, I got messages for days. This is the last one. I'll try and be quick. Is that Daddy God is not impatient with your growth. And in fact, he sees you as complete. Daddy God is not impatient with your growth, but in fact, he sees you as complete. See, the lie is that when you fail, that you are broken and incomplete. I need to get repaired. Kind of like Kristen's like car. Like it's like it's, it broke. It needs to be fixing. And God doesn't look at you that way whatsoever. Colossians 2.10 says that in, in Christ, you've been brought to fullness, to completion. There's nothing deficient about you. There's nothing broken about you, incomplete. There's nothing, there's no defects. Like God doesn't have like a warranty program for like broken children that come back to get like repaired because they got a bad version. No, he gives it to you in fullness. And we tend to beat ourselves up because we think that our growth doesn't meet God's satisfaction. Here's the thing that you'll learn when you become a father or a mother. Some of you already know this. Is that parents freak out about everything. They literally freak out about everything. My child can speak Latin in reverse. How about your child? Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I tell you the truth. A year ago, my son is only two. He's like one and a half around there. And of course, we have a four-year-old girl, so there's all sorts of Frozen movies and dolls and things in our life. And so the song Let It Go is like on repeat of our house for basically 340 day- days straight. So Mav, and you might have seen this if you like, are connected to me on social media, but, but Mav has this little clip of, let it go, let it go. We have a friend who lives in Southern California who sees that video, and our two kids are the same age, and enrolls their kid into speech therapy because they felt so insecure about how far our son was. What she didn't know is that those were only the words he could even say. Mav didn't even know he was even talking. You know, that's the thing. But parents will like freak out based upon all like the paranoia of them being behind. And a lot of us, we have this paranoia that, oh my gosh, I'm behind. Hurry up. This is like also about potty training too. It's almost like there's a competition of like how young your child can potty train. It's like, poo doesn't like really face me that much. I'm okay with a diaper. I'd much rather change a diaper than change sheets at the middle of the night. I'll tell you that much. Our kids wearing diapers till they're 12, I think. <laughs> but if there's one thing that parents freak out about is like, are oh, my kids potty trained? Now, Mav, he is only two and a half, my youngest. He looks like he's five, all right? He's been in the largest size diaper they make for almost a year. He's going to be in Depends here pretty soon because he's got no future potty training anytime soon. And we have all these friends like, I, they're potty trained at 18 months. Oh, good. Right cool. I'm not stressed about it. You know why? It's because when I look at my son, I'm not worried that he will never learn how to use the potty. It's not even a concern in my mind. I'm like, if we don't do this, oh my gosh, she'll never figure this out. He's going to be 30 and we're in a diaper. This is going to be crazy. It never crosses my mind. It's like, he's going to get it. He's going to get it. And so when God looks at you, he's looking at you from your finish line, not from the middle of your journey. God's not stressed. I was like, oh, 
Oh no, he had a bad week. Oh, is this the end? Oh my goodness, what's going to happen here? Oh my goodness. He is totally unconcerned. He's totally aware of your journey, but he's not stressed out like you are because he sees you from the end. You want something else that will really trip you out? This is what Brian Orm talks about all the time, and it's just like it blows my mind, is that you right now are seated with him in heavenly places. No idea how that works. That you were with Christ before the creation of the world, before we were crucified. These are like crazy things. That we were in God's mind before the foundations of the earth. Like our existence is mind-blowing, okay? Like, so if right now we're seated with Christ in heavenly realms and he's relating to us, you know what that means? Is that right now when he relates to you, he's relating to the eternal part of you, the part that he is with you in heaven, the fully complete, lacking nothing you. And so that's what it is about bringing heaven to earth. It's actually bringing who you are in heaven down to earth for you to possess now. When he speaks to you, he's not speaking as like a, a motivational speaker, like you can do it. He's like, this is who you are. Take hold of it early. When I believe that God talks to me in the spirit, I, I believe that what he's telling me is he's giving me a sneak peek of what I already am in heaven that I might be able to have a little early. But he's calling down from what already is in the heavenly realms to you to be right now, and he's not concerned about your journey. He just wants you to get a glimpse of it. That maybe you would believe in yourself half as much as he believes in you. I think one of the big regrets that we're going to have on the other side of eternity is that God's ideas for us and God's delight in us is far superior than even our wildest expectations could be. What would happen if like, we just had this outrageous rooted truth in of the, the Father's delight for us, that we are actually with him in heavenly realms. He sees us in completion. He deals with the perfect part of us. And that he's not frustrated, he's not worried, he's not concerned about your perfection, your progress, but he's actually in pursuit of your heart. Because God doesn't, dog, God, God doesn't look at you through the lens of what you haven't done, he looks through the lens of you being complete in what you already have done. And you're perfect. So with Mav, I'm just like, I look at him, he's like, he's, he's a man. Like everything is in him to do what he's going to do. He just hasn't learned to put the pieces together yet. And I'm okay with that. When God looks at you, he sees this person who's got it all together someday. They're just working out to put the pieces together now. We understand that God is not tapping his foot like, when is he going to get it together? Puts the stress off. If you're stressed out in, in your walk, it's because you got this, this guy who's got like the stopwatch. He's like, okay, go. Come on. You're going slower. It's not like that. I have so many more things for you, but I'm going to stop it there for tonight. I love you guys. So why is it important that you really, really, really work through some of the things that Eric said? The only way I know to make it clear is just to share my own life. Two weeks ago, I met with my dad. I have a spiritual dad, and his name is Dad Tar. 
And um, he said, I want you to start focusing on finding a spouse. Now I would rather not tell this story because it's very personal. But if you guys don't learn to be personal in front of other people, and if you're going to hide for the rest of your lives, you're going to be my age, and you're going to have some of the issues that God's addressing with me. And your life can be so much more if you'll just have the courage to live and face yourself. So my dad says, I want you to stop putting so much attention on ministry and all this other stuff you're doing, and I want you to start paying more attention to finding a spouse. And when my dad talks, I listen. Because I waited a long time. I'm 61 today. I waited a long time for a spiritual father. And so I came home from that, and I was like, I told him, okay, I will. I came home from that meeting, and I was like, <laughs> okay. Great. I'm supposed to spend more time. So I tell Eric, Eric has the most hilarious idea, which I can't tell you because we might actually do it. <laughs> no, you cannot. He has an amazing idea because I'm like, what would I change about my life? Okay, let me pay more attention to finding a spouse. Let's see. Uh, and so I sent him a text and I'm like, hey, dad, I want to, if you're going to be at Upper Room uh, Thursday morning, I want to like talk about, you know, what, how you think I could <laughs> find a spouse. And he texts me back, great, let's leave at 10 o'clock so we'll have time to talk. I'm like, awesome. So that's what we did this morning. And we went for breakfast and he had some amazing ideas but he said, the reason I can talk to you like this is because you've given me permission to speak into your life. And I told him, you can tell me anything you want to tell me. I didn't realize this because I had never maybe given him the level of permission that I'm giving him. He said, I actually have a lot of experience working with people with your background. I never knew that. And then he started giving me some just amazing insight and revelation, which I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but the point is, many of you have that attention from Daddy God. And you are unwilling to let him address you. Some of you, God's put someone in your life who literally has so many answers for you. What if I hadn't told my dad, hey, dad, I want you to talk to me about my life, and I want you to tell me what you know that I can't see. How you live with people is exactly how you interact with God. So I just want to encourage you. Like today, after I left him, I felt so full of hope, and I was like, all right, boy, because some of the things I was believing, and I've actually worked on my life a lot. I've driven to Reading for counseling. I've paid uh, 100 bucks an hour. No. Yeah. And that's, I got a good rate. I would, um, I've done all kinds of stuff. I've literally done all kinds of stuff. But I never opened up my heart to my dad at this level. 
I didn't have him for a long time. I don't know that I would have been mature enough to want something badly enough to open all the doors to my heart so he could speak to what I really needed to hear. So tonight, I just want to encourage you. That's probably the most vulnerable area of my life. It's one that I keep uh, to myself, except for my close friends, you know, people like that. Whatever area of your life, you just, you'd love it if you could have breakthrough. Or you may not even know what area of your life it is. You're just stuck. You don't know how to get unstuck. God has answers for you. And when you walk into his presence and you're like, I know I'm special. I know I'm special. Last Thursday night, I had a revelation from God. This ring, I've shared this ring with, with you guys and the story of this ring. My dad gave me this ring three days before he died. And I made myself wear it to work through things with him. Last Thursday, God said, you know that ring? Because it kind of embarrassed me. It has uh, diamonds in it and gold and all that stuff, and they're real. And it's not a ring. It just felt gaudy to me. Last Thursday, during that powerful worship time we had, Holy Spirit said, that ring shows you the extravagance of my love for you. Don't you ever be embarrassed at my ring again. And it also shows you the extravagance of your biological father's love for you. He just never knew how to say it. And it completely changed. It's like, because I'm willing to be addressed, God is addressing some of the greatest painful areas of my life. So tonight, if our worship band will come up, <clears throat> if you'll stand with me, I just want to give you, if our prayer team could come up too, I just want to give you an opportunity to come up for prayer because you can have breakthrough. And I think Bridges, if you can uh, turn the lights off so that we can have some, just so you can have some privacy and allow Holy Spirit to speak to you. Ask him, what area of my life would you most like to address? If I let you be my dad, daddy God, what would you like to change? What would you like to help me get free from? What revelation do you have for me? Because I promise you, he will never disappoint you.